Sometimes you guys wonder, why, what is, why is Tim so random? It's because it's more fun. It's just more fun. Okay, you ready for the word? Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and a severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. So if, and the Greek, you could just as easily translate it since, since you died with Christ, it's true that he died for you, but did you know that he died as you? And that when he died, you died. And that when he rose, you rose. There's a lot of people believe in a false gospel, or at least I could say it this way, an incomplete gospel. The incomplete gospel is that if you say a prayer and agree with a certain set of ideas, then somehow your name gets put in a book in heaven and your legal situation has been resolved so that when you die, you'll go to a place. That's preached as though that were the gospel all over the world, and it's not the gospel. The gospel is that you have a nature that makes you a slave to sin, and if that nature can be put to death and a new nature implanted in you, and you can be restored to relationship to the source of your life, then the life of God can be implanted in you and that life is eternal and cannot die. And therefore, when you pass through the flames of eternity, you're fine. You know what judgment day will be, right? It's like passing through a fire. God won't have to decide things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that each person's life will be tested as through fire. If it's wood, if it's hay, if it's stubble, it'll burn up, it'll be gone. But if it's gold, if it's silver, if it's precious metals, that's what will be left. God won't have to decide something. Hmm, do I like him? Am I impressed? This Christian life is not you doing things for God. This Christian life is union with Jesus and he comes inside. The old is killed on the cross. You don't kill it. He killed it. So he says, he starts by saying, you died. Don't you know you died? And I would say most of us don't. Most of us actually still think we are the old person who died. And if you believe you're the old person, something going on behind me, I feel lights moving. If you believe that you're nothing but a sinner, come on, you got it, I believe in you. Did it do it? How come I don't see nothing? Ah, well. As a man believes in his heart, so he is. 
right? Jesus said, if you're my disciples, if you continue in my truth, you walk with Jesus, you hear his voice. If you continue in his truth, you hear his voice, you internalize his words. His words are spirit and life. He speaks from his relationship with the father. He speaks out of his relationship with the father. Like Peter said, when they all wanted to leave. Jesus says, you guys want to leave me too? Everybody else has left. And he says, well, where would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus speaks out of his intimacy with the father. And he says, if you continue in my words, then you'll be truly my learners, my learners. It's it's just really fascinating to me. He didn't command us to make converts. He commanded us to make disciples. Was that me? Did I do that? Sound like a balloon. We've been fixated on heaven when we die instead of realizing that we're living in a form of hell here on earth. Like when, I, when, I, when I turned to God, it was not turning to God to get to heaven when I died. I wasn't even thinking about eternity. In fact, I wasn't saved with a preacher. There was no preacher. There was no church. There was no evangelist. There was, there was, no, there was no preaching of the, of the cross. When I got saved, it was just me crying out to whoever's out there. Can you take over my life? Boop. Peace came into me. And it wasn't quite a little prayer. It was a big prayer. It was me in charge of me as hell on earth. It was a couple weeks before I realized, you mean I get to go to heaven too when this is over? That's crazy. Because it wasn't about getting things from God. It was about getting right with God and being submitted to God because me in charge of me is a disaster. Me in charge of my life is the point of conversion. Getting out of the hell of that. Self is the problem. Okay, so, and here's what we're about to see. Paul's about to say, religion is another form of self. Are you guys okay? Am I speaking English? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as though you belong to the world? And you go, well, what does he mean? Why, what, does he mean that we're still worldly? And then he goes right off and says, no, actually, we're not talking about what you would consider worldliness. We're talking about what you would consider godliness. That's weird. How is he saying, do not touch, do not taste, harsh treatment of the body, fasting and praying, memorizing all these things and never touching this? I heard somebody say, Lord, if you'll baptize me in the Holy Ghost, I'll never drink a Coca-Cola as long as I live. Well, that's a weird bargain to try to strike with God. I mean, if he leads you never to drink Coca-Cola, that's fine. I didn't know we were in the bargaining business. Plus, that's weird, right? That's kind of like the tithing logic. Do you know what I mean? 90% of it is mine, but 10% is God, so we could change the songs. I surrender one-tenth. I surrender Coca-Cola. Are you saying you like Coca-Cola? 
You're saying it's a stupid logic, right? It's what we were singing this morning. We're living sacrifice. Like we've actually turned our lives over to the Lord and the fire falls only on sacrifice. It's David saying, I will not sacrifice to the Lord burnt offerings that cost me nothing. The fire only falls on sacrifice. Resurrection life, the life of the divine can only fall on someone willing to yield themselves fully up to the Lord. Also, what, what a skin deep gospel. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna be in control of my life. I'm gonna give God just a little. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be a better person and then maybe I'll earn my way in. It's like, it's like as soon as we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we got to work patching together an identity and a righteousness that we think, okay, I've done this. Maybe I'm presentable now. Maybe now I'm presentable. Oh crap, here comes God. Because our solutions, both our rebellion and our religion are still us fabricating and manufacturing. The life of God cannot be produced by any efforts that you and I make. And so Paul says, listen, when you died with Christ, you died to sin and religion. And why are you still submitting now to varsity Christians who come in and tell you you're not enough and you need this, 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 and this, and this? And you're internalizing a way that you think is going to produce godliness in you, but it doesn't. If it produces, if it produces progress in one area, it'll, it'll produce sin in another area sneaking out the side door. Here's what I mean. Religion can get you off alcohol, but it might get you into pride and the love of money if you're not careful. You're just switching sins from, from heinous, obvious ones to even more heinous, non-obvious ones, respectable sins. Switching, switching rebellious sins for religious sins. And religious sins, if you look at the Pharisees, are even worse. Even worse. So Paul says, don't you know you died to the stoicheia? We talked about this word, right, last couple times ago? Anyone? The stoicheia. And you go, what the heck are those things? Several times in the, in the book of Colossians, he talks about the stoicheia, the basic spirits at work in the world. And you go, oh, well, that sounds demonic. Well, actually, the way he broke, the way Jesus broke the power of the stoicheia off of your and my life was by putting the law and nailing the law to the cross. There's something that the demonic does in partnering with religious truth to make you both condemned and strive to make you never enough, to make you work even harder. And if you're doing well, you'll be thinking you're good and it'll be pride based in your efforts. See how it's rooting you deeper in the wrong tree? And then if you're doing good and others around you are doing bad, you will look down on them. You see how it's eroding love? It's demonic. And Paul says to get you free of the demonic, Jesus took all the law on himself and canceled it so that love could come inside you freely. He's the I love you of the father. You receive it without earning it. You receive it, though you've earned the opposite of it. And nothing about you can change it. And we've said this so many times, right? Nothing you can do can make God love you more. Do you believe it? And if it's true that nothing you could do could make God love you more, then it has to be true that nothing you could do could make God love you less. And if you'll receive, if you'll just receive the free relationship, 
Not so much the free gift of heaven when you die as though it's not relevant to now, but the God who's here right now in the hearing of my voice offers himself fully. And our thing is we go, I don't know about that. I'm going to wait till I prove myself before I allow myself to receive from the Lord. I don't trust me, therefore I won't allow him to love on me because I don't want to disappoint him and I certainly don't want to be disappointed myself. I've already been disappointed enough. Half of us have old hearts. The gospel makes us younger and younger the more we go on. And what I, by old hearts, what I mean is life has drop kicked the hope right out of us. And we've stopped opening our hearts to the mystery and the miracle that is existence. You know, there's some people who think they're smart and too smart to believe in a supernatural worldview. And the reality is what they're saying is they don't recognize the fundamental miraculous nature of their own existence. I could have said that simpler. I'm not sure how, though. You're a miracle. You have divine fingerprints all over you. And in the redemption movement, it's still supposed to be divine fingerprints all over you. Not you fixing you, not me fixing me. We receive. Okay, I keep getting off point here. What are the stoicheia? Stoicheia are the basic religious impulses that all humanity are driven by, whether Jew or Gentile. And stoicheia push us to attempt to earn our way back to God through human effort, human sacrifices, through piety, through rules, through being careful about making sure we measure up. And these efforts, driven like they are, become a form of slavery and, and, they, and they end up summarizing the powerlessness of the human condition, both in our rebellion and in religion. For the Jews, Stoicheia takes the form of angel stuff mixed with Old Testament festivals and food things. And for the Gentiles, Stoicheia takes the form of pagan religious ceremonies. But in both cases, it's all rooted in earning, trying to climb back to God. And it never works. Have you ever had anybody, you invite them, hey, come, you should hang out with me. You should come to this Bible study. You should come to church. And they go, oh, church, Oof. not quite ready for that. You go, why? I got to get my life straightened out first. Huh? That's exactly why you should come. Not to get, what, I don't, I'm, We had a conversation the other, the other day about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about be careful not to take the, supper, the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, the bread and the, and the wine. And that if you don't treat it with reverence, you can, you can eat and drink judgment on yourself. And the person was saying, man, we got to be super careful when we eat this. And I'm like, well, hold on here. Let me, let me tell you how I think about taking the Supper of the Lord in a, in a worthy manner. To take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner does not mean that you believe that you have been sinless. That's not what that means. To take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner means to recognize and honor the sacrifice and the love that Jesus has displayed and to honor the reality that you greatly need him. The, the, way, to, to rec, the way to come, the correct way is not to come saying, 
I've done it. I'm good enough this week to, to come. Holy cow, your own standard of good enough has now displaced the Lord. He is inviting you to receive his love. And you are the one now with your standards saying, I'll come when my high righteous standards, your standards are obviously lower than mine, almighty God. He's the one who wants relationship with you a hundred million times more than you want it with him. Just like he loves your kids a billion times more than you could love your kids, he loves you far more than you ever want a relationship with him. He's the one who invites you into fellowship. John 4, he's having an encounter with a Samaritan woman and he says, Jesus says, the time is coming when those who worship the Father will worship in spirit and truth because that's the kind the Father is. What's the next word, guys? Seeking. Wait, hold on. The Father is seeking us? Yes. The Father is seeking you. The Father is seeking you. The other, the other day he told me to tell somebody that he's lonely for you and he misses you. Well, that's interesting. How can almighty God who knows everything and is everywhere and can do anything make himself vulnerable to little humans? And why would he? And we come back to the old wisdom and the old mystery of the gospel saying, he actually likes you. He actually loves you. He has a warm, tender heart of feeling and cares greatly about what happens in your life. Here's a crazy thought. He cares about birds. He knows every single sparrow. Here's a, here's a really weird thought once you know how many stars there are. He knows all the stars and he calls them out by name. Small things matter to our God. I have not made any progress in this sermon. So the stoicheia, you died to the, to the religious thing completely. The stoicheia want to drive you to try to earn your way back to God. But you died with Christ. He took down the dividing wall. And now it's free access. It's free love. It's total forgiveness. It's sonship. It's hope. It's yours. His spirit is being poured out on all flesh. He, does, he no longer looks at the things he looked at in the other covenant. There's been a covenant upgrade. And I don't know that many of us have upgraded our thinking to the covenant we're in when we trusted Jesus. The transformation in this life, the power of the gospel lands as we begin to upgrade our thinking to the covenant Jesus has put us in. We didn't put ourselves in this covenant. He put us in this covenant. Okay, I got to get back to the text. So he says, why are you guys acting like you're still alive to religious stuff? And I would say, well, probably because we don't know. He says, why do you submit to regulations? And you go, oh, regulations? What are you talking about? And he says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things all refer to things that perish with use. They're simply human commands and teachings. See, it's us trying, us trying, us figuring out. How can I fix myself? One time the Lord told me that. He's like, stop trying to be your own doctor. I had gone through a hard season and I was not happy with what I felt going on in my heart and in my mind. And I was trying to, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I was trying to fix myself so I, so I would better honor Jesus. I was trying to work on me. Sound familiar? It's the modern way of thinking. Take some time for yourself. Do some self-care and some self-love. Do one for you, baby. Let's make 2021 about me. 
I watch all that and I go, how about we don't do any of that? How about we don't make 2021 about me? How about we don't do self-care? How about we spend some time at Jesus's feet loving on him? And how about we let him take care of us? How about that? How about we let the good physician heal our hearts and minds? How about that? How about instead of me trying to fix me and save me and change me, I take my whole self and I put it into his love just as I am. And I say, I don't know what the truth is and I don't know what to do about this. I love you. I'm here for you. Help. Help. Teach me. Search me and try me. Yeah, but Tim, I know. But I'm just telling you what he said to me. What he said to me was, no good doctor would ever diagnose himself. Doc Mast would never diagnose himself. He would always go to another doctor and submit himself to their wisdom. Why? Because you are the worst. You are so not objective when it comes to you. You are not meant to be your own physician spiritually, intellectually, relationally. We need a deeper intimacy with Jesus. In fact, there was a season when I was walking through, I was experiencing extreme insecurity. And here's what I mean by it. If a friend said, can we go out to lunch? I experienced panic. Because I thought, here it goes again. I'm gonna have a serious conversation where this, where this friend eviscerates me and calls me evil and has all these attacks to bring on me because I had some sort of PTSD from being a pastor. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And the Lord didn't say, yeah, see, you're so insecure. Shame on you forever, doubting, you know? No, what he did was he took me to Psalm 91 and I spent like three months in two verses. He's my shelter. He's, I'm supposed to, I, I have not supposed to, that's the wrong word. I'm privileged in this covenant to so belong to him that he can shelter me. His answer to my insecurity was not me changing but me getting a deeper insight into who he is for me and in me. His, his intention is to be our clothing, not our fig leaves be our clothing. His intention is, see, this is why the, the early church, they talked about Jesus as the wisdom of God. He has become for us wisdom and peace and righteousness. He's our righteousness. He's, do you know what it is? To, you know what righteousness is, right? Man, I've seen so many twisted translations. I've seen translations so dumb, they translate the word righteousness as right living. To be sure, righteousness produces right living, but they ain't the same thing, y'all. Righteousness is the innocence that a child has before they know they're naked. You know, Adam and Eve weren't perfect, y'all, in the garden. They were innocent. That's one of them slow pitches over the plate. They were innocent, not perfect. Because they weren't being measured, they were meant to grow up through their union with the Father into maturity, but it was cut short because they detached from the source. And they began to think independently. And everything took on, everything in human life then took on a selfish curve. We still have the image, we still have the image in us, the image is so strong in us, we can't kill it. You can sin your whole life away and you still can't kill the image in you. 
You still have his handprints, fingerprints all over you. My buddy said, uh, he said, some people, some people are working so hard, they look like they're trying to get to heaven and they look miserable. But the gospel produces people who look so happy because they look like they just got back from heaven. Let me switch it. Let me see if I can simplify it again. Religion makes you live like you're trying to get someplace. The gospel makes you live like you just got back from someplace. I feel like I still need to say it clear, but I don't know how. We're not living for something. We're living from something. We're not doing something and producing something for the Lord. We're receiving something he's done for us that has absolutely transformed who we are. We're living from strength, from the victory, from his love, from his acceptance, from his approval toward the challenges of life. And to every weak spot in you and me, he wants to be the answer, not us fix ourselves for his sake. At least that's what he told me. And so then he goes down and he says, uh, Paul's talking about, oh, you guys, are, you guys are still in worldliness. You died to it and now you're trying to go back to it, thinking it's gonna improve you. But Jesus already did in you the only thing that you needed done. Jesus is more than enough. Why are you trying to go back to add something to Jesus? Because Jesus plus anything is less. Okay. Asceticism. Here's another big word Paul uses. Asceticism is severe discipline and avoidance of all sensory pleasures. Oh my goodness, the body is evil. Don't eat good food. Sex is dirty. Save it for someone you love. That was a joke and you're supposed to laugh, but okay. I guess not every joke is funny. It's funny. In the last days, in the last days, Paul says there's going to be, there's going to be false teaching. There's going to be demon-inspired false teaching. Does that scare you? In the last days, there are going to be doctrines stirred up within the churches and the demons are going to cause Christians to go astray and they're going to teach false things. Do you guys know what it is? Oh, my word. Well, this is true, too. There will be false prophets. But I'm specifically referring to when Paul's saying to Timothy. I'll give you a little clue. It's really not as shocking as you think. These people forbid people to eat certain kinds of food and to engage in marriage. Guys, let me just be very plain for you. It's asceticism. God actually made, this is what Paul says, actually God gave you all these rich blessings of the physical world. He made the world beautiful on purpose because he likes it. He gave humans, did you know in Hebrew culture, you dance, you drink. I don't trust anybody's theology that doesn't lead to dancing. And they drink. I don't drink because the Holy Spirit told me not to, but that doesn't mean that you can as long as you do it responsibly. There's a whole sermon on that. Alcohol is a blessing. Drunkenness is a sin. Sin to be slave to anything. Don't let your freedom hurt another brother and don't let what you can't handle uh, restrain another person's freedom. There, short sermon. But the point is God gave you everything for your enjoyment. That's what Paul says to Timothy. But these demon-inspired people try to act like your body is sinful and the world is sinful and everything's going to get you. It's all, it's all bad for you and it's going to infect you. Oh, my word. 
as though the world's full of demons and Christians are going to get slimed. Oh, my word, we got to... Oh, I had a friend one time, and he had an ACDC CD, and his whole house was demonized. We had to pour like a jug of oil on it and pray for a month. Are you kidding me? Just because that guy's on the highway to hell doesn't mean that you are just because you heard him talk about it. The spirit in you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. And them chord changes is pretty ripped, man. I like him. But it's a demonic, then you get demon, then you get Christians who have a bigger faith in sin than they do in righteousness. Jesus didn't walk in the room and go, oh my word, I'm going to get leprosy. Oh my, I'm going to catch adultery from you. He let the power that was in him, the love that was in him bleed over into them. By touching them, cleanness was going to spread. Righteousness was going to spread. Guys, that's in you. But there's a last days and times deception. And you know what it is? It's legalistic Christians. Well, at least that's a part of it. There's more. But wait, there's more. Severity to the body. See, God made all things for our enjoyment to increase our gratitude for him. You know, does it mess with you that Jesus made sex? It was his idea, y'all. He made music too. <gasps> he made poetry and beauty. Made all them birds and them fishes. He made all them alien creatures living on all the other planets too. Oh, you're just dumb if you don't believe in aliens. That's not even mathematically accurate. Just go spend some time looking at the size of the universe and then look under the ocean where we didn't expect to find any life because we can't have life, we think, because there's no sunlight. And then we find that there's thermal vents down there and the bacteria are growing in this, in this hydrochloric acid 500 degree environment and they're growing. There's crabs down there that never seen the light of day and they're pure white and they're like, what's up? And our, and our scientists are, are, not scientists, whoever, the ocean people with the little subs with the cameras, it's too deep for humans to go because they'll crush you like a can. So they send the little robot down and they go, Huh? God touched so many incredible creatures and species, and you go, well, but why? Because he liked it. Just like when he was watching dinosaurs eat grass for millions of years when humans weren't around yet. Why? He liked it. But you think he stopped with you. Anyway, that's not really part of the sermon. You're not required to believe that. None of that is in the creeds. That's not in your Bible. I just think you're dumb if you don't believe in aliens anyway. Um, I got, <laughs> at least I'm humble though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what's Paul saying? Look, not only are you dumb, if you go back to religion after Jesus gave you the reality that religion is, is like in vain struggling to try to get and it never gets, but the absolutely powerless and breaking sin in your life. That's how he ends the chapter. Absolutely powerless at have you ever seen someone stand there and try not to lust? Oh, it's, I feel sorry for him. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to do it. That's like if I said pink elephant. And I said, don't think of a pink elephant. Right? Like Paul says with the law, he says, I was walking along doing fine, but then a law came that said, don't do this. And that's all I want to do. What do you mean I can't do that? It's the only thing. It's like an itch in the back of your heart. Get to it. I know I shouldn't. Maybe just once. You know, and the longer you fight temptation in that way, the more you exhaust your self-control. 
because it's like a tank and it runs out. And then instead, you go, oh, this many days of, I've been 190 days of sobriety. Dude, why are you paying attention to that? Why are you even keeping track of that? Your life is still revolving around it as the sun, and you're, you're a constellation revolving around that sin issue. I haven't done it in this many days. I haven't done it. I haven't done it. The gospel works the opposite. It doesn't say, stop sinning, try real hard, get better. It says, fall in love with Jesus, receive his love. Let him become the center. Forget about sin. Oh, should I say this, Lord? Let me see if I'm allowed to. Okay, he said, yeah. I was saved like eight months before I realized that I had a bad magazine that I got from a friend at school. I was saved eight months before I remembered I had it. And as soon as I remembered I had it, I went and burned it without looking at it. And that's when I knew. I guess I'm brand new. I wasn't fighting that sin. I was falling in love with Jesus. I was distracted from sin. I wasn't thinking sin. I wasn't under the law. He came inside. Christianity is not you trying stuff. It's Christ dwelling in you by faith. It's actually a miracle. You know the Christian life's impossible, right? You can't do it. It's impossible. The whole Christian life's impossible. We're like, well, I don't know if God does miracles anymore. He used to do miracles back when he was starting to give us the Bible. But once he gave us the Bible, we didn't need any more miracles. Well, then I guess we're all going to hell. Might as well stop praying. Man, they told me this too when I, when I started going after the Holy Spirit because I found out that there was more. I was like reading the Bible and the Bible was like, there's more. And I'm like, I want more. And then people were like, well, careful, you're gonna get demons. And I remember my friend Brian Connolly said, Tim, if you can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit whom he promised and instead you get a demon, we may as well hang up this, this Christianity thing and give up on it. Brian, is that an overstatement? No. I mean, that's like a basic one, right? I'm over time. I didn't say any of this stuff I wanted to say. Let me see if I can speed read. Can I do it? Speed read? Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Boom. Simple as that. Put your treasure in Jesus. Your heart will be in Jesus. Then he says this. Still building on the same. The eye is the lamp of the body. Oh, my goodness. What is he saying? What you fix your eye on defines what fills your heart. What you fix your attention on grows bigger in your understanding. And the bigger it grows in your understanding, it begins to dominate who you are. And then your automatic responses will come from who you have become by what you have fixated on, obsessed over, invested in. So he says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If you keep your face, your eyes fixed on Jesus and his love for you, his goodness for you, his righteousness for you as a gift. If you just keep your eyes fixed on the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know what glory is, right? It's beauty. If you'll have a beauty-centered worldview, man, I'm telling you, we like fill our brains with toxic nonsense. Wake up in the morning. I do this too, guys. I'm not like saying I'm different. I wake up in the morning and look at the news first. Not smart, bro. And then I run back. And then I get in the presence of God and I meditate and I pace and I talk to him. Huh. And, and see, and then you like, then your whole life's driven by fixing the world. And the people who disagree with how you think the world should be fixed become the bad guys, and you think of yourself as the good guy. And Jesus is standing back, face palming, saying, You're both bad guys as far as I'm concerned. 
I'll get back to the text. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Uh, volunteers. Yes, you? That was the worst throw ever. You're good. Excellent. Can you both come over here? You are allowed to use one hand only. Excellent. Now, I would like you to give her this. I'm sorry, your ball to her. Can you try again? It's not working. I could have I could have guessed that Abby would do that. Because when we did the water thing, she was like, I could just drink the water. Remember how I was like, take the water around? Yeah, see, that's that's good. That's pretty good. Thank you both very much. You did good. Was it too painful? Do I have to repent later and apologize? For, for, okay, good. Be honest with me. Okay, let's get out of here. What's my point? No one can serve two masters. Your heart is a desire factory. Your heart, your heart will never tolerate a vacuum. Your heart will never tolerate a vacuum. It will go after something. Your heart will go after something. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No, notice he doesn't say no one should serve two masters. He says no one can. Big difference. No one can. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. The point I was trying to make, I don't know if I did it, was that you have to let go of the one to receive the other. And here's the thing. Here's how this works. I'm, tr I'm really trying to finish. I really am. Here's how you change in the Christian life. You fall in love. You will make a billion times the progress falling in love with Jesus as you ever made trying hard to stop sinning. And you go, well, I can't fall in love with Jesus because I, I feel like such a, a wretched sinner that I, I can't receive his love. Yeah, I get that. Come hang out with us. Let us pray with you and let us teach you the gospel because you're not saved by works and he's not measuring you up. You're under grace, not law. You're under grace, not law. He loves you at your worst. Jesus died for you while you were at your worst. He died for me while I was at my worst. Even the lady who was caught in the act. By the way, where was the man? Anyway, just side, side note. But the lady who was caught in the act of adultery. What does he say? Neither do I condemn you. That's amazing. The, the judge of all the earth is the least judgmental person you'll ever meet. So in the way sin has messed with your brain, you're more likely to run away and miss the appointment with God than he is. In Genesis 3, God shows up on time. They're the ones pulling away. And he's the same right now. He seeks sinners. Stand up, please. Let's do some repeat after me's. Father, you're good. Father, you're better than I think. Father, you love me as I am. 
You see past what I've done. You see past what I've become. And you're making me your own. I thank you that I'm under grace. I thank you that Christ has died. And he died for me. I thank you that Christ has died. And he died as me. I thank you (laughs) that I died in Christ. That the old is gone. That the new has come. That I'm brand new. That the real me is the new me. And that I am learning to know you. I invite your Holy Spirit. Fill every part of me. I surrender to you, Father. I give my life to you, Father. I give my family to you. I give my work to you. I give my past to you. I give my future to you. I give you my heart. Amen. Amen.